How about a hand for my friends? I have the unenviable task of following that, as I said, so I'll do the best that I can. But they have brought our hearts and our minds into this idea of light. It's the, the, obviously the thematic center of the message of these songs, and it is a powerful reminder to us of what we are looking towards, especially in this Christmas season. I mean, we look around us in this world, and there is plenty of dark. There is enough dark, it seems sometimes, that it drowns out the light. And so we as believers have to be continually looking. We have to be continually seeking the light. Unfortunately, and you know this, there are people in our world that are not seeking the light. And much of what we experience in our life is because of people that have given in to this darkness. But brothers and sisters, we resist the dark. Amen? We resist the dark and we look to the light, but some won't, some don't. There is a place that looks a bit like a living room, if you saw it. It's in tunnels that are beneath Las Vegas, what's known as Sin City. This living room is in these huge, dark tunnels that are there for when there is an overwhelming amount of rain and the water has to flow through the tunnels, but it doesn't flow there all the time. But it's a dark, scary place, and in a place that looks like a living room, set upon boxes, you'll find a community of people, 70 or so people, that have decided to flee from the light because of the things they've done and because of the things they continue to want to do that are, quite honestly, against the law. So they live in the darkness of these tunnels, fleeing from the light, resisting the law to the detriment even of their own health and safety. Because when it does rain, as you might imagine, the rain comes rushing through there and can be quite dangerous. As a matter of fact, several of them have died in the past several years. It's a dangerous part and a dangerous place to hide in that darkness But that gives us a picture. It gives us something to think about today relative to our world. That we would not give in to the dark. That we would not seek to hide from the light that has been revealed to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's what this season is all about. The light has come into the world. This is the hope that is in Jesus Jesus told Nicodemus, who interestingly sought Jesus in the dark, in a hidden away place, because he was fearful. He said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. You see, The light has a revealing power, and not all of us want the revelation of that light, because frequently it is easier to hide in the darkness. It is easier to keep our private sins private. It is easier to keep our struggles to ourselves, because to put them out into the light is to risk. It is to risk judgment. It is to risk change. It is to risk what to us appears difficult. 
I pulled this next text from the inspiration was really this album that Jonathan and Emily have put together, and, and it really resonated with me, and, and so it's a reminder to us. Isaiah 60, one through three, and this is the English Standard Version. It says, arise, shine, for your light has come. This is a reminder to seek the light. It says, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. Do you hear that? That's what we've just talked about. That how it's there and it's something that, again, far too many people resonate with. They run to, they hide in. But the good news for you and for me and those who are lost is, listen, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. This is for you, church. Listen. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. That is good news about the message of light and of hope. And so what does that mean for us? What do we do with this? How can we be lights as God has called you and me to be believers? How can we shine his light in this world? How can we meet and fulfill the purpose that he has for us as his lights? Well, listen to what Matthew 5, 16 says. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. And that is really the first foundational way. We are light. We live out light. We do good deeds done out of love. It comes because the light has shone on us and changed our hearts and our minds. And then listen to Philippians 2, 15. It reminds us of what happens when the light gets a hold of us. So we're living out the light. We're shining the light on people. And that's, that's what we're called to do. But listen, it says that verse, uh, Philippians 2.15, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. We look around us sometimes and we lament the state of things. And we see the fallenness and the broken nature of the world around us. And sometimes we want to throw up our hands, but this is a reminder that we resist. That we live differently instead. We see this crooked and twisted generation and it says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You, again, are there to live out faithfully the call and the cause of Christ on your life. You're to look differently. Live differently. Honor the Lord differently than the world that is far from God and living in darkness does. You live blamelessly. So you do good deeds out of love. You live blamelessly if we want to embrace the light and flee from the dark. Finally, we'll do this. When we do these things, we will find ourselves living in a marvelous light. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, it tells you who you are. Listen. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous, his marvelous light. But it's good news. This is what we've been called to with this purpose, that we would live out these deeds of light in the world that is dark. 
that we would live blamelessly amongst people that when they look at our lives and they see who we are and they see how we live, they would see Christ shining in us. And when we live this out, we will find ourselves living in a marvelous light, not hunkered down in a tunnel of darkness, keeping our sins in our minds anyway, hidden, never dealing with them, never being honest with them, never laying them bare before a loving father that will redeem us and save us. Just like Ron talked about earlier. That forgiveness is waiting on us. This music has revealed to us this truth in a new way today, made us think upon it. It's theological richness penetrating our hearts. We hear it sung. We see the words. Light has come. But you know as well as I do, we find ourselves in this season of waiting. And the waiting is sometimes the hardest part, isn't it? Waiting in the darkness that surrounds us, seeking this penetrating light for hope, for truth, for strength. But the darkness ever pushes in and we push back. But we are not the first people to have faced a season of darkness, to face a season of waiting on the Lord. The people of God have been waiting a long time and there was an especially dark time in the people, for the people of the Lord what's known as the intertestamental period, which is a, a very pretty obvious thing, I'm sure, to everybody. It's the time between the Testaments. The old and the new was a period of, of about 400 years where the people of God had not heard from a prophet of God in 400 years, and so they felt abandoned. They felt lost in darkness, and the last one to speak was Malachi, the prophet. And Malachi gave them a word, and it was a word that had to last <laughs> for 400 years. And so here we are now. Jesus came to earth and he gave, came as a sacrifice. Jonathan talked about earlier how he came down to us. And now we wait. And, and that waiting in this darkness, in this challenge, in this trial, and we say, Lord, where are you? And we, we start to question and we start to wonder. Well, I can guarantee you they were doing the same things. They were feeling many of the same feelings we felt 2,000 plus years ago. But Malachi had left them a word. In chapter 3, verse 1, he said, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in, Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. That was Malachi's word over the people that a savior, that a hope was coming. But here you have this 400-year span where the people are left waiting in this proverbial and in many cases literal darkness. And the world around them is so difficult and there's so much pressing in on them, making it difficult for them to live out their faith. But all the while, and I find this incredibly interesting, all the while God was paving these paths 
for what needed to happen for the gospel to explode across the known world. World powers were at work, battles were being fought, things that at the time must have just seemed like chaos to the people of God. And in many ways, they were. But in all of this time, history was building to this pivotal, pivotal moment. In 168 BC, the Seleucid king, uh, King Antiochus IV Epiphanes, began this campaign that was, their goal really, the campaign was to Hellenize the entire known world, which basically means make everybody act Greek, speak Greek, look Greek, talk Greek, you know, worship Greek, all these kinds of things. This was the idea around Hellenization. And as it came to the people of God, now hang with me on this, as it came to the Jewish people, the people of God in that season of time, and this press happened in on them where they were forced or tried to be forced and tempted to abandon the one true God and give in to this Hellenization effort that they would worship false gods and all these things that they might fall into that their forefathers, far too many of, had fallen into. They were left with a choice, and instead of giving in to the world, they resisted. And what happened is what's known as the Maccabean Revolt. And as a part of this, long story short, they were able to retain some measure of their independence. They were able to worship freely. And the Jewish people regaining this independence remained free for 79 years until Jerusalem was conquered by Rome and Rome set up their puppet leader, King Herod. The history of the Jewish people during that intertestamental period, y'all, it, it is a story of defeat and oppression and challenge after challenge after challenge to their faith. And I tell you that bit of a history lesson to get us to reflect on our own story, to get us to think about where we find ourselves today. And we are much better off than they were. We have in our hands, we can hold in our hands, we can open, we can study it in the morning, noon, and night, the revealed word of God. And it's there for us, and it is a reminder, and it is a strength, and it is a hope, and friends, it is a light. And it is a gift. But it is a reminder to us to stay on guard, to continually seek the light, to not give in to the darkness. And this was, as I said, that struggle of the people in that intertestamental period of the Jews to resist the pressures of the world around them. And this was, you know, no, no easy task. And so then when the Messiah comes, of course, you know, many are still not sure. They'd been so run down by the dark. They'd lost track of some of the things that mattered most. And far too many missed the Savior. They missed the light. For Christianity, though, the time was right. It was just right for the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises of a Messiah. Alexander had Hellenized the known world, much of the known world, 
Greek had become a universal language. The Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek, making the Old Testament actually more available for Jews and subsequently Christians. Remember, I told you all these things were happening that didn't seem to make sense at the time. And yes, even Rome, as the world power at the time, even Rome had established peace, the Pax Romana, in the Mediterranean region so that travel now was actually possible and, you know, relatively safe per the times. So what did all this mean? Why does all this matter? Why are we learning this history here in the midst of a sermon? Because these changes were going to be a huge part of what would provide the means by what the message of the light, Christ Jesus our Lord, that had come down to earth, how it was going to spread how it was going to propagate around the known world. The Lord had prepared just such a time as this. The light came, and man, it was dark, there's no doubt. There was a long wait, there's no doubt. Romans 5, 6, when we were helpless, at just the right time, Christ Jesus died for sinners. At just the right time, everything that needed to happen for redemption and for the light to shine, to bring hope to the world, not just in that day and age, but for every day and age to come until our Lord returns. This is light. This is hope. This is truth that we stake our eternity on today. So do not, and I'll finish with this, do not... Give in to the fears of momentary darkness. Do not give in to the fears and the hopelessness that come when the light seemingly goes out. Resist. Look to the light. Remember that even in that darkness, the light's there, it will shine, it will bring hope. But I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I know it's tough. It's tough for me sometimes. See the world around. See the things I struggle with. See the things that people I love struggle with. And I yearn for the Lord's return. Bring the light again, Lord. Forever, once and for all, in your return. To this dark world. But we got to keep hope alive. There's, there's a place... In Norway, it's called Svalbard. <laughs> Say that three times fast. Svalbard, Norway. And in Svalbard, Norway, in the Christmas season, right around this time, for about a month, the world goes dark. And I don't just mean at night. I mean 24 hours a day in Svalbard, Norway because of the way, you know, the Earth's axis and all that stuff works, it goes dark. And so the sun doesn't rise for about 28 days in Norway, in that part of Norway. And so the people of Svalbard, they go on about their lives and their business because it's what they've known. They've understood that this is a part of their lives. Now, let's just be honest. If that happened to you and me and we got up tomorrow morning and the sun didn't rise, we'd be freaking out a little bit, right? 
We'd be kind of losing our mind. We'd, we'd fall into a depression. We would be lost if that happened tomorrow morning. Why? Because we wouldn't be prepared for that. We would not be mentally or physically or really in any way, shape, or form prepared for that. But the people of Svalbard are. They know what to expect. And because they know what to expect, they go on with their lives. Because they know that there is a light that is coming again. That there is hope on the other side of that darkness. And don't you know that that is the message of hope that Jesus Christ has left to you and me? You keep your head up. You keep looking to the light even when darkness surrounds. Because Christians, you know this. When we look at the darkness of this world, as oppressive as it can be, friends, we know a secret. We know a message of hope. This darkness won't last. The light has come. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. And I'll finish with this. For at one time... You were in darkness. You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And may it be so for you and me, church. May we walk as children of the light, fleeing from the darkness and knowing that the hope is found in the light that is Jesus that has come for us. Will you pray with me?